I didn't mean to just stand behind you and lurk, Aaron. I realized I was trapped in the corner. <laughs> Friends, our gospel reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 14 through 29. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. This is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said he is Elijah. And others said he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death. But she could not, for Herod feared John knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. He went in and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. One of the great joys of preaching from the lectionary is that every once in a while you get to read a passage like that and say, this is the word of the Lord. It's a very difficult passage that we get from Mark today, this passage of uh, the, the death of John the Baptist, the, the murder of John the Baptist at the hands of Herod. And this passage is a flashback. This is something that happened before um, the things that we've been talking about together through the, the Gospel of Mark. We've been talking about Jesus' miracles and his teachings. And as the story unfolds, Jesus' reputation is getting out. In spite of the fact that all through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is continually doing great things and then saying, but shh, don't tell anybody just yet. But the word keeps getting out anyway. People are hearing about him. And when Herod hears about these things that Jesus is doing, Herod, this is the, the son of the Herod who tried to get a hold of Jesus as a baby, he starts to sweat just a little bit because just before Jesus was this prophet John who called out Herod for his shady morality, and Herod had him killed for it. Herod, who was neither a faithful nor a theologically bright man, began to suspect that maybe Jesus was John the Baptist resurrected or reincarnated, coming to get revenge on him. Herod was a self-proclaimed king and messiah, even though he was really just a local leader. He didn't have as much clout or as power as he wanted to or thought perhaps he had. And 
He was this power-hungry, lustful man who had taken his brother's wife and was currently eyeing up his stepdaughter, who if you do the family tree math on this one, the daughter of his brother's wife would have been his niece. So he was not faithful, nor theologically bright, nor was he a very moral or upright person whatsoever. Now, lest you think that these two women, um, his brother's wife, now his wife, and his niece slash stepdaughter were innocents in all of this, we see in this passage that they are clearly scheming for power as well. Herod's shifty morality and um, feeble-mindedness left him wide open for them to um, play him. They didn't want to lose the power that came with living in the palace, so they weren't too fond of John's accusations either. They didn't want to lose their status. This, this story is almost Shakespearean in its family drama and the, the lust and the power and, and everything that these people are going after. It's a classic tale of what happens when the lusty, rich, and power-hungry are put in charge of things. Those who dare to call out the powerful on their immorality and selfishness tend to find their heads on a platter. Now Herod had a choice right up to the very end, and he realized that John was a prophet. He knew there was weight to what John was saying, and he'd done some pretty terrible things, but when confronted with one last opportunity to repent, he refused. Even with the prophet right there, face to face with him, telling him to repent of his awful ways, calling out what was wrong, Herod chose his own puny little earthly kingdom over being a part of the kingdom of God on earth. But, and here is the good news in this wicked, twisted story, in spite of Herod choosing his own earthly kingdom over God's kingdom, the kingdom of God still comes to earth. Herod, in spite of his own protestations and tantrums, is neither the rightful king or messiah. And so in his refusal to live into grace, he did not stop the grace of God. He simply made himself irrelevant and unimportant. We are all given the choice to participate in the kingdom of God right here in the world. But if we choose the world, that won't stop God's kingdom. In fact, that seems to be what Mark's point is in dropping this flashback into the middle of the narrative about Jesus. Mark is saying, do you remember that terrible thing that Herod did to John? That didn't stop God's work. And neither will anything that the powers of the world do to Jesus. And so he's flashing back to what happened to John, but he's also foreshadowing what is coming in the life of Christ. We are given the promise that no matter how many small-minded, selfish tyrants are given any sort of power and rule in the world, God is still the one in charge. Those mere humans are not messiahs. They are not the real king. God is still the one in charge. And even if they choose not to live into grace, God's kingdom is the only one that will reign forever. There is not any mortal earthly kingdom that we see around us that will continue to reign forever. Every human empire will fall. Every human empire will fall because earthly power resists truth. One of the class sessions I teach at the county jail is on power dynamics and how those in power tend to use that power to take more power from those who have less to begin with. 
in any situation of abuse, which is specifically what I'm teaching that class to address, there's some sort of power that the abuser is using inappropriately toward and against the abused. It's often physical power, but it can be social power, economic power, psychological power, and more. And this is true in um, relationships between individuals. It can also be true in relationships between different groups of people. When a person craves or seeks earthly power for whatever reason, often because they themselves have felt powerless at some point and didn't like that feeling, they get it the only way it's possible to get earthly power, and that is by taking it from somebody else. And the people it's easiest to take power from are those who have less power than you to begin with. And this creates a nasty cycle in which the powerful continue to hoard their power and the powerless continue to lose their power. And once that dynamic gets oppressively unbalanced, it gets harder and harder and harder to rebalance it and to find equity of power again. The longer it's left to hoard more power, the longer it takes to break that cycle and even out the power. That's why a century and a half after the Civil War, our country is still feeling the after effects of slavery, is still feeling racism. That's why almost 100 years after women won the right to vote in the US, we're still fighting for equal pay, for equal work. One of the hardest things about balancing power out so that everyone has a fair shot is that power resists truth. Power likes lies, and it makes people say things like, if you were a better wife, I wouldn't be so angry all the time, or they must be poor because they're lazy, or we don't have room for them, or they should stop whining and be grateful for what they do have. Power resists truth, just as Herod resisted John the Baptist. Power resists truth, resulting in Herod killing a man for calling him out, rightfully, on his lust and corruption. Power resists truth when a young girl is shot in the face for speaking out about the need to educate girls. Power resists truth when people make outlandish claims like the Holocaust never really happened. Power resists truth when claims are made that racism and sexism are no longer problems in our culture. Power resists truth when those who grew up in quiet suburban neighborhoods talk down on those from inner city projects by saying things like, if they only worked harder, or they're just lazy, they could get out if they really wanted to. Power resists truth when we continue to elect leaders who are sexually promiscuous and lusty like Herod, or who have forgotten Mr. Rogers' basic gospel teaching we talked about the other week, that all people are valuable and precious, no matter what race or gender they are, and in spite of any disabilities or differences they might have. Power resists truth when we buy into cheap and immoral celebrity culture, even after the recent look we've been granted into the way that powerful Hollywood men are taking advantage of young actresses and actors trying to make a way in the business. Power resists truth. But the truth is stronger. Jesus Christ says he is the way and the truth. And so we must embrace the grace that we are offered in Jesus Christ if we are to be the bringers of truth, the champions of truth in the world around us. And sometimes that means admitting the part we play in power imbalances in the world. Few of us are quite so dramatically imbalanced as Herod. If you are, please come see me later. We'll talk through it. But we all have a role in the way that the world functions. We are called as a Christian community to speak the truth of freedom in Jesus. And sometimes that means we might find our heads on a platter, like John the Baptist, figuratively speaking, I hope. 
Grace is John the Baptist calling out corruption and immorality and unjust leadership no matter the cost. Grace is Malala Yousafzai getting up after being shot and continuing to speak up for the education of girls around the world. Grace is Dietrich Bonhoeffer calling out the German church for its support of the corrupt and immoral Nazi government, even though it put his life in danger. Grace is the church's continued efforts to work for justice for all people, just as our denomination is doing through the Freedom Rising Project. Grace is leaders like Giselle Fetterman finding ways to empower people trapped in the cycles of poverty and grant dignity to all. Grace is the willingness to give up a bit of power or privilege so another less powerful or less privileged person might have more. We can choose grace. Even when the world around us resists truth, we can choose grace. And we must speak this grace into the world, even when it annoys the powerful. And we must be willing to give up our own power or privilege when it means embracing the self-giving, power-forfeiting truth of Jesus Christ. Amen.